Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. For those of you that don't know me, I'm your host, Daniel. I'm a teacher and a family man, striving to be better every day through open-minded conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. My guests today are Jason and Alejandra Gunther. They are friends of mine that live in Fresno, California, and I wanted to have them on to have a conversation about homeschooling. Now, Jason and Alejandra have four young kids, ranging from preschool to fourth grade, and they homeschool all of them. In this discussion, I wanted to dig into Jason and Alejandra's experience with homeschooling and give them an opportunity to share why they're so passionate about this model. During our conversation, we get into questions like, why would parents be interested in homeschooling when there are so many other options available? And are there any academic or social advantages to homeschooling? We also discuss the critical influence that parents play in their children's education, regardless of what model they use to educate. And finally, we talk about how Jason and Alejandra's Christian faith directly influences their views on parenting and education. I personally walked away from this conversation with lots of things to think about, and I hope you get something out of it as well. If you have feedback after listening to this discussion, I'd love to hear it. My email is down in the show notes. Thank you guys once again for tuning in, and I want to say thank you to everyone who has subscribed to the podcast. If you haven't subscribed yourself, please consider doing so. We greatly appreciate the support. Okay, let's get into the episode. Good. Well, hello, Jason and Alejandra. Glad to have you guys on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Uh, scheduling is always a beast, but we have overcome the beast and we're here now. That's right. So yeah, we uh, had the opportunity to talk about homeschooling a little bit when we visited you in California and I really enjoyed it. Um, looking forward to seeing you guys in person again. But I wanted to have you on the podcast um, just to have a conversation about homeschooling. Um, I know that you guys are currently homeschooling your children, and you guys seem to be um, advocates for it and enjoying it and doing really well at it. So I just wanted to get a little bit of your perspective on it and maybe um, some thoughts that you could share. So um, before we jump into what you guys are currently doing, um, I always like to start with maybe you both could kind of introduce yourselves and kind of give a background of what your schooling looked like. Um, Jason, if I remember correctly, you were homeschooled growing up. I was. Um, yeah, and so if you uh, want to just share a little bit, bit about that, I think that's a good place to start. Absolutely. Um, I was homeschooled starting in kindergarten, so I never stepped foot in a public or even a private school all the way through high school. Impressive. Um, this was in a day when homeschooling was not as socially acceptable as it is now. 
Um, meaning there were times where my mom was concerned that if somebody saw us out on the streets during school time, they would think we were truant. And so they would call CPS. I don't know <laughs> that that ever would have happened, but you know, back, back in the early nineties, there was a lot of unknowns about homeschooling. And in some States it wasn't even legal. Um, my experience as a child, um, I think changed quite a bit as I aged as a very young boy, I, when I was first starting out, I don't think I knew any different. That was just my culture. Every friend that I had was homeschooled. Um, the church that I went to, they were public schooled kids, but we didn't really talk about what schools we went to, you know, in first grade. Uh, it wasn't really a conversation. Um, by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, I think I became self-aware and I began to feel a little bit different. Um, the non-homeschooled acquaintances that I had would definitely make it known that I did not belong in the public school friend zone, if you will. Mm. And I became acquainted with the idea of in crowd and out crowd. And I definitely was part of the out crowd. Um, looking back, that was probably just because I was, I wasn't quite like them. And I don't think homeschooling makes people weird. I think it makes them grow up at a different pace. Mm. You know, I had a lot of interaction with adults. Um, as a homeschooled student, I didn't, um, let me try to gather my thoughts here. As a homeschooled student, <clears throat> I saw quite a few children. I was not just locked at home all day, you know, looking over books that my mom taught me. Uh, mm -hmm. that was definitely a large part of it, but we also had quite a few extracurriculars. But as such, every time I would go somewhere, whatever children I was with, their parents were usually there also. And the parents were integrated into the teaching model. So everything that I was learning was from my friend's parents, hmm. meaning I learned how to interact with their parents just as well as I learned how to interact with my friends. And so I think what that did was it taught me how to talk more like an adult than most of my friends. And that made me different and in their eyes weird. And so it made me a bit ostracized in certain groups. Your church friends. I wasn't going to put too fine a point on it, but yeah. Um, Fair enough. Kids that were not, I don't, you know, they weren't saved yet and they weren't familiar with the idea of, of uh, homeschooling. And so they just thought I was strange. Um, I think by the time I reached high school, I actually deeply appreciated what I had. Um, I recognized the academic advantage that I had received as a homeschooled student. Um, I, I, we can talk, I know we'll probably talk more about the statistics in a bit. I'd love to share, but I knew that I, was learning at a faster pace than most of the public school acquaintances I had. And the, the large reason for that was, and it was obvious, when I did well in a subject, my mom would move me on to the next grade. It was a progressive school. You know, I was two, three grades ahead in math pretty much all the way through high school, which means I was working on things like physics and calculus before I ended, which most of my public school friends never got to because they had to go through the pace that the public school gave them. Hmm. Um, private school friends were the same way. Their pacing was always set by the class. Whereas as a homeschooler, it was more like private tutoring. Whatever I can do well, I do a lot of. And whatever I struggled at, I could take at my own pace. And so I was really bad at foreign language, you know, but I had the opportunity to take Spanish three or four times to try to figure it out and probably learned more doing that than had I just glanced over the subject, got my B or C or whatever and moved on. So I think by the time I got to college, I saw the advantage because I had tested really well. You know, I did... I scored well on my SATs. I got scholarships and I know lots of smart public school students did the same. But I think for me, the advantage was I didn't feel like I had to really press extra hard to get there. I just felt like I had a really good education. Awesome. And and this was in the Fresno area? Yes. Got it. Okay. Very cool. 
Yeah. And so if I can ask, so then did your, do you know the exact reason why your parents decided to homeschool? Was it academic reasons? Was it religious reasons? Was it circumstances out of their control? Yeah, believe it or not, it wasn't either. I think it became both of those over time. But initially, my parents moved from Los Angeles about a year before I was born, and they ended up in a neighborhood with a really bad school. And at the time, there wasn't like, I don't think they were familiar with the idea of school vouchers where they could move the child to a different school or any of that. And so the elementary school that my siblings and I would have gone to was rough, to say the best. There were a lot of fights. Um, the academics were bad. And so my parents felt uncomfortable sending us there. I think, wasn't it the neighbor lady who said something about the school not being that great? You know, that might've been, I, I was not around for any of this, but my mom's <laughs> talked about it over the years, but and the neighbor warned your mom, like not to go to the I school. Yeah. So I, what they decided was they looked at Fresno Christian, which was the prominent private Christian school. And it was way too expensive. Okay. And so my mom, who was a school nurse when they before they moved up to Fresno, said, well, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start homeschooling the children. And that was kind of where it started. Um, interestingly enough, though, side note, my aunt and uncle also were starting homeschooling at the same time. And so there became a group of, I don't know, say probably five to eight families in the area that banded together to form something. Um, I don't know what all of their reasons were, but pretty soon into it, we had a school group. Cool. Yeah. Which I'm sure helps with just on multiple levels of academics of getting tutoring or input from other adults. And then also just, you know, mm -hmm. not being just you and a book and your mom the whole time, like you said. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, that's good. So Alejandra, did you grow up homeschooled or? No, you... I grew up in a private Catholic school. My parents, I'm an only child. And I think my parents saw it as an opportunity to send me out to be like, hang out with other kids. We also lived in an older neighborhood. So a lot of the people that lived near me or were my neighbors were older or elderly people. Okay. And like their grandkids would come to visit and they're like, oh, there's a little girl down the street. And so I'd hang out with these kids like for a weekend or a couple weeks during the summertime. But a lot of like kids that are in public school, they have like their neighbors, their friends that they live nearby and they go to the neighborhood school together or they go to the neighborhood church together. Well, I did not have that like typical experience. Um, so going to Catholic school was great. Um, I didn't have any like major issues or problems as far as, you know, bullying or what I mean, typical stuff. But I think my parents saw it as instilling Christ in me, but also giving me that time to hang out with other kids and then when I moved into junior high, I went to Fresno Christian here in Fresno. And I um, I really felt like it was an experience where God kind of like hedged me in, where I could have gone off and done all sorts of horrible things as an unsaved young child. Hmm. Um, but God really saw fit to like keep me in this special area where the opportunity to go off and do ho horrible things was not afforded to me. Hmm. Um, and uh, I actually went to school with a lot of kids that Jason went to church with because the, you know, the Christian kind of socializing circle was rather small in Fresno. Yeah. Um, and then I went on to Fresno State and I got a teaching credential and then I was a teacher. Very cool. Yeah. So, okay. So, it sounds like you were, you went to a Catholic school, but were you raised Catholic at home? Yes. 
Yeah. You were? Okay. Catholic until about sixth grade. So when I was like 12 or 13, um, that was like a major like er, change for our lives. My parents divorced and my mom was really seeking like, where's God and all of this. And her brother and sister-in-law went to a four square gospel church here in Fresno and they were just okay. trying to be like loving and Hey, my sister's going through a hard time. Why don't you just come to church with us? And then I think my mom really like gave her life over to God and she was baptized and that whole like Catholicism was just like gone one day. Like that was it. We ran away and started going to this Foursquare gospel church. Wow. Okay. So it was, it wasn't just you, like the whole family, uh, converted out of Catholicism is what it sounds yeah, like. Basically. Yeah. My, wow. my mom and I, yeah. Very cool. Okay. So then when you guys obviously get married and have kids, is it? obvious like okay we're obviously homeschooling was this a debate that you guys had to have as, as, a, as a couple before we were ever engaged we were like date one two or three and the way I remember it Jason can correct me the way I remember it was we we're talking about like well how many kids do you want how do you want to raise them parenting so on and so forth and Jason said, well, I kind of have what I would consider a deal breaker. And if you aren't on board with this, I don't think we should continue even going on dates. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is a big deal. What is it? And he said, well, you know, I was homeschooled and I really, really want my kids to be homeschooled also. So to add to that, <laughs> I think I did say that. Um, obviously, I feel strongly about it, but I would say, I think what I said wasn't just that my kids would be homeschooled, but I said, I want mm. you to be involved in my children's education. Because mm. uh, we'd already had conversations about a church school at Bread of Life at that point. And I'm, I was okay with that, but my, my I don't know what you'd say, my, uh, my stake in the ground was yeah. that I absolutely wanted Alejandra to be the primary teacher for my children. Because I think for me, that was the biggest part of homeschooling that I felt helped me. It wasn't that I went somewhere where someone else's parents taught me. It was that at the end of the day, my mom was the one saying, what did you do? How did you learn it? And the part that really helped was my mom loved me and my mom taught me. And having the, the nexus of those two together, I think made a huge difference on how I learned. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So I was like, well, yeah, totally. I will homeschool or church school or whatever our kids. That's absolutely fine with me. I had um, previous to us ever being together, I was uh, I got a teaching credential. I got a, a even like a certification in early childhood education. So that's for like preschool through third grade. So like early literacy, teaching kids how to read, all that stuff. Um, cause I really like the younger grades and I had finished that and I was working, uh, in an, a reading intervention program here in Fresno. And then also I taught in the public school system for a very short time. And I taught in that private school for a very short time also. And, um, without making any, you know, waves, I just was not impressed. I was not impressed with the public school system and I was not impressed with the public or sorry, the, uh, non-faith based private school that I worked at. And I saw the way children were treated like, uh, it's a business yeah. is the way I interpreted it. And I just was like, I don't want to be involved in this, even as to be employed by it. And I surely do not want my children to be in it at all. So 
I knew that as a single woman, I had to be employed somehow. So I carried on being employed as a public school teacher. But once we got married, Jason saw where I was working and he's like, after we get married, you're quitting this job. You're not, you are worth more than this. You are way more talented than this. And I, I'm pulling you out. And I was like, that's fine. No problem. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So then, um, so then what does it look like now homeschooling? Are you guys primarily doing everything? Do you have other tutors coming in that cover other subjects? I guess also just for the the listeners, what ages do you have kids homeschooling? Yeah. What does it look like right now? A fourth grader boy, second grade boy, first grade boy. And my daughter is three. So she's in what my sons call coloring class. Very good. (laughs) So we are, once a week, we are part of a Christian co-op here in Fresno. There's about 100 students, ages nursery all the way to 12th grade. And we meet at a church campus. It's not affiliated with the church, but we rent the classrooms there. It is highly organized and it is entirely mom run and uh, parent parent run. Moms, dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunties and uncles are there the whole time. It's not a drop off situation. And there's all kinds of classes. There's history, geography, science, physics, uh, theater, crafts, cooking. Um, my first and second graders are in a physics class. My son, my fourth graders in a human body class, um, an overview, a history of the Bible class. Um, anyway, so that's once a week and all these, I had to do an interview to get into this co-op. These people are legit. Basically they laid out, these are our statement of values and what we believe. And if you don't like, if you kind of disagree with any of these, then we probably aren't a good fit for you. I was like, Oh wow. Okay. We had to, I had to sign a paper and everything. Wow. It was really awesome actually finding like-minded people that felt as passionate about homeschooling as we do. And they already like had this whole thing set up and I just, I'm part of it and I get to help on the playground and I get to facilitate classes and I can be as involved as I want and be there. So I'm not just leaving my kids and hoping somebody else can take care of them. It's me being involved and helping and um, just getting to see all this really cool stuff that they've never done before. My kids have never done any type of theater or human anatomy class. They're making all kinds of cool crafts and stuff. Anyway, that's probably more than you wanted to know. Oh no, that's awesome. I'm curious. Yeah. So what are what are some of the the like specific values that they have that you had to sign off on? Let me see. Oh, you, you have the actual paper. The Christian core values. While she's getting that, I will say my involvement is like limited. I'm the terrible person that made demands of my children being homeschooled and I don't do a whole lot of it myself during the day. Um occasionally so you- I'll do like science class. Fair enough. So, okay. So you're fine. You're, you're working and financing the operation pretty much. And then, yeah. and, and, and all the work so we can play. Yeah. Very good. Okay. I, I can't find that document, but basically it was like, we believe that, uh, that God is the head and, uh, you know, Christ loves, uh, uh, you know, oh my gosh, I would say the, the value statements were basically broad Protestant Christian 
values. Okay. They don't get super, like, unlike some church schools where they may get really in-depth on specific doctrinal issues, this was more like, you know, we believe in the Trinity, we believe in living holy, righteous lives, we believe in, in the blood of Jesus, and we had to sign a statement agreeing to that. Yeah, okay. So then... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to ask another question. So for this might seem like an obvious question, but I think this is this is interesting and something that I've been thinking about and talking to a lot of different people about. Um, let me just throw this out at you. What does religious values have to do with academics? Um, what does, so like, can't kids just learn math and math is just math or can't, can't we just tell them history and history is history? Like why, why does it need to, why does a Christian environment matter to you guys? Pushing all my buttons, Daniel. <laughs> this, is what I'm, this is what I want. All right. All right. Here, first of all, I actually pulled up this statistic while you guys were talking. This is from NHGRI, the National Home Education Research Institute. They have okay. peer reviewed studies. All right. I think this says it quite well. By adulthood, homeschooled students internalize the values and beliefs of their parents at a much higher rate than institutional schools. Hmm. So if I am a Christian and I want to raise my children to have not just Christian values, but to really be saved and walk with the Lord, homeschooling is statistically, and I would say co-ops and groups where the children spend their day in a religious environment are statistically much more likely to internalize, and that means adopt and take on for themselves and own the same values that I carry in an institution like a public school or even just a broad private school where they leave that out of the day-to-day education, those children aren't getting it. All they're getting is the basics of say math. <laughs> and then all the rest of the stuff they're learning throughout the day is not, that's not math is going to be whatever their peers are bringing up to them devoid of good parenting. So mm-hmm. think, think of a standard public school You've got one teacher for every, I don't know, 26 kids. Sometimes and then, 32. And then you've got the lunchroom monitor, the playground monitor, the principal, whatever, a handful of other people. Outside of those adults who we don't know what they believe or what they're going to teach, you've got a thousand kids, most of whom are absolute wrecks and their home life stinks. And they're the ones that are discipling the children. They're, they're literally teaching each other what to think. Uh, when you look at, sorry, one more comment and then I'll turn it back. No, you're when good. You look When you look at, I don't know what other states are, but in California, a full-time equivalent student is seven hours at a public school or three hours of private education, meaning um, like one-on-one education of which homeschooling qualifies. Like a tutor. So private tutoring. So the state of California acknowledges that out of a full day at school, only three hours is actually education. Mm. What's the other four to five hours doing? Because children are sponges and they're going to pick up everything they're, they're seeing all day long. So if less than 50% of what they're getting at school is actually education, and I would say most of that's probably not education either, the rest of their day is being filled up by being taught other things that we have no control over and no parents are really putting input into. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's reminding me of something of something I've been thinking about and and something I've been talking about is... I think fundamentally education is about culture building mm-hmm. and assimilating young people into whatever culture that, you know, on a local level or a national level or what have you, that, that yes, reading is important. You should learn how to write. You should know our history and, and things like that. But the end 
the 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 end uh, that correlates to those means is like we're trying to bring you into a certain culture, and I think as Christians we have a different culture than just the default world around us. Right. And so and so yeah, what you're saying really kind of resonates with what with what I've been thinking about of kind of even like going to college. Um, you know, as a Christian, we talk about like, oh, you know, those professors, they're just gonna be like, God's God's not real. And, you know, and there's a movie about how God's dead and, you know, all this stuff. And we think it's mm-hmm. like the teachers and, and professors and things like that, which is true. But <clears throat> when I went to college and went through there, I was like, oh, my peers and my other classmates are way more influential on my experience and the conversations I'm having and the things I'm thinking about and what's going on in the world. That's all coming in laterally through my classmates as opposed to whatever the professor or the teacher is saying. And, and, and how much more is that the case, you know, all the way down to, you know, first grade or kindergarten, the the culture around you is way more impactful than the one adult um, in the room. Yeah. Well, and I think that's especially true when kids oftentimes have like filters. They, they're, you know, somebody teaching you is talking at you and trying to put something into you. A lot of times kids just kind of resist it. Hmm. Whereas your peers, they're influencing you all day because you don't have any, you don't have any guards up. Hmm. Um, but, I, but and the other thing is at college, you know, I went to a Christian college and there were still professors that basically tried to unchristian me. Hmm. And so when the professors and the students are all going to be sending a message that we may or may not want our children hearing. Yeah. I think that, I think your success rate is a lot lower. Um, yeah. One thing I would say in favor of homeschooling is when you've raised up children that can, as I say, internalize your values at a much younger age, they're likely to go to college and hold on to those values and come out with those values. Mm-hmm. Are yeah. you say- I was just saying in, homeschooling to me is more about what am I building in the kids character in their, in their, in their walk with Christ rather than just what are they learning? I mean, I can prayerfully consider what subjects and what exactly to teach my child. And when I get stuck and I don't know, like, Oh my gosh, this math, or, you know, he's not getting this, this grammar or whatever. I have the power to, turn to Christ and pray about it and ask the Lord, reveal it to me, show me, give me a dream, or maybe a friend can recommend it or this video or, or this book that I have might help me. And I know that in me, even though I do have a teaching credential, I don't think that really draws much aside from the power that I have just as a loving mom. And I care so deeply about my chat, my children as individuals that I will go and seek out individual curriculum that I know that will work for Ezra, that will not work for Jasper. Hmm. So I'm going to have to rearrange everything for this one child so that he can excel and and be filled with knowledge, but also with confidence, and that it can all come from this place of love that I have for my child. And I'm not building an education. I'm building, what, what am I building inside their heart? And so I always think of homeschooling as this greenhouse that here, my home, our environment, our co-op, our church family, our, our biological family, we are like a greenhouse and I am keeping my tiny little saplings safe 
and I'm giving them the most ideal environment to grow and mature and have the strong roots to go down and I can nurture the soil and I can fertilize it and I can make sure the temperature is just right and that the wind won't knock them over and that their stems and their leaves will mature enough. And and so when the time comes, when they do need to be transplanted out, when they move away or they go to college or they get a job or they get married, whatever happens to be, that they will be so, they'll be strong enough as now a rooted piece that they could be taken away and transplanted and still know who they are, still know the value, still understand Christ and be able to withstand the world. Like my kid is not, my six-year-old is not a missionary. I'm not sending my kid out to get eaten alive by lions in the public school system. And I know so many people are like, well, my child needs to be a light. That's fine, but not mine. Sorry, your kid can go be a missionary. Your kid can be a light in the public school, but I, I'm not doing that. And if God's called you to do that in your family and you feel strongly about that, that is fine. But that is not our conviction. Hmm. And we're, what, what am I going <laughs> to I mean, would you tell your kid, go run out on the street and watch out for a car. Hope you, hope you make it. No, you take their hand and you walk them and you show them when you cross the street, see the little white lines, you go in the crosswalk and you wait and you watch for the hand. You see the running guy. Okay. Now, you know, it's so all these set up all from a very young age, all of this is to guide them into maturity, into godliness and righteousness and holiness that someday they will be away from us and we won't be in control, but what we have instilled in them will remain. I I hide your word in my heart, so I will not sin against you. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. You know, I look at that as an instruction. It doesn't say send your child to be trained by someone else. Now, if we're in an environment, like like a church school, I think is a place where there is an environment where you know they are being trained up and you are training them up by being part of it. But in a, I would say in a school where you don't have a great deal of influence, or the ability to at least see what's going on and, and be part of it. You know, if we're not training up our children, the whole idea of them being missionaries at second, third grade, I, I think people who say that aren't paying attention to their kids super well. Because my my fourth grader is just barely getting at what it means to be a Christian. And to then throw him into a place where he's having to face influences that tell him the opposite, I think this is why we have such a, a, an epidemic, if you will, of young people that are just not part of the church. They, they didn't have enough training in righteousness to have roots that went down deep enough to hold on to them. And they become those seeds that fall by the road. Yeah. It's like they spring up quick because when they're around mommy and daddy, they they know Jesus, but then they go out in the world. They didn't have the roots go deep enough and they fall out. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do is have that be my child. Yeah. Hmm. One, one yep. thing I wanted to say that I didn't was, I am very aware that there are wonderful, godly, holy people out in the public school system. I know there are wonderful teachers, administrators, parents, principals, all of that. And I do not want to discount them or make them feel like their job is not working, but I'd rather encourage them to continue and to keep on and striving. Um, I'm not saying public school system is the devil or any of that, but all these people that are out working in the public school system as Christians, as godly people, I, I commend you. I couldn't do it. I didn't, I tried it and I didn't want to, but I see you and I recognize you and I say, keep, keep going. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, 
it's reminding me of I've I've actually had conversations. Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. I'm I'm a Christian in the public school system, so there you go. <laughs> I, I appreciate those kind words. Um, but I'll also quickly say that I'm in a very different cultural like cultural context in rural Missouri. Oh, yeah. opposed to Fresno, California. So there's that. That is a good too. point. <laughs> um, I'm also not in fourth grade. So, you know, I'm an adult Christian who can. Yeah. You know, no, you are the missionary in the yeah. school. Right. Got, yeah. Going that, that's different. But yeah, I was, I've, and I've had conversations with other Christian parents who said that to me. They said, well, our kids should grow up learning how to be salt and light and learning how to be an influence in the world around us. Um, I've, I've had this conversation with multiple parents and they're like, we are not supposed to run away from the world and keep our kids in a little, um, you know, microcosm where they, they never, you know, step outside or, you know, they, they never talk to anyone who's not a Christian. And they're like, yeah, I want my kids to get out there and start walking out that lifestyle, which, which I think in principle is, I think that's an end of that is part of the culture of Christ. That's part of biblical culture is that we are out, we're interacting, we're being salt and light, we're having conversation, we're preaching the gospel, all of those things. But yeah, and I, but then I've heard also comments of like, but would you, would you send your 10 year old to Mexico as a missionary? Like, would you, would you, and then it's like, well, no, definitely not. Like that, they're not ready for that. You know, they're, they're still, they're still in training. They still need to be raised at home. It's like, yeah, how much more, um, you know, when you think about the public school, is it more like that? Um, yeah. yeah and I, so, if we're talking long-term day-to-day, the idea of someone being a missionary probably should be at the point when you can move out on your own. Hmm. Because that's the point when you're trusted to be responsible with your own life and your own decisions. But there's a reason our children are under our care until they move out. Or I, I should say at least until they're adults and responsible is because their brains aren't developed. You know, back to all hundreds point of a greenhouse, you have tender little shoots that need water just about every day and they need a special amount of light and they can't handle wind and they can't handle freezing. You're not going to throw that plant out on in the desert and leave it there for a couple of weeks and see how it does because it needs to learn. It would die. I see the same thing with children. I'm not going to throw my children into a place where they're going to be bombarded with unchristian ideas. And then nowadays, again, I don't know what it's like in rural Missouri, but in California, they're being forced to be taught uh, they call it alternative lifestyles, but I mean, you're talking the LGBTQ agenda. That's not just being taught to tolerate. They're being taught to celebrate and they right. have to affirm children who want to change genders and teachers are being forced to encourage children to consider their own sexuality. Like over my dead body is my child going to be told that because what if they don't have a firm enough foundation in Christ and they go, well, maybe I am. One of my boys goes, maybe I am a girl. I mean, the national, Probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but the National, uh, what was it, uh, Pediatric Institute hmm. declared gender uh, gender transitions for minors as a form of child abuse. This was six years ago. Hmm. They have walked the statement back, and I don't think you can find it anymore. Hmm. But, I mean, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that children don't know what they are yet. Right. And, and they are very impressionable, yeah, um, absolutely. especially um, with regard to their peer group. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another, another thought that I was thinking is that it's, it, it's kind of odd to me that we, you know, if we're, if we're Christian parents and we, we 
live according to Christian values at home and, and we say, you know, our lives are surrendered or surrendered to Jesus and this is our lifestyle, but I'm going to send my kid to school where they're going to spend seven, eight hours a day in an environment where they are being encouraged to live or to participate in non-Christian mm-hmm. behaviors, values, types of thinking, conversations, and things like that. It kind of, what it, one of the biggest things I think that communicates to young people is that your, your Christianity or your faith is irrelevant to the rest of your life. I think it allows children to live a double life. Right. Right. Probably. It's like, who's discipling your kid? You, even if you woke up at 5am, your kid goes to school at eight. So five, six, seven, eight, that's four hours in the morning. And then they come home at three, four o'clock, go to bed at eight. I mean, how much, how much time are you getting to spend with them, disciple them, love them versus some, some person, public school system, right? Who's discipling your kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate too, Jason, I, I kind of like what you said about like, yeah, if you want your kid to be a missionary, then why don't they move out on their own? I think that's kind of a, I haven't heard it stated that way. That's an interesting metric, but yeah, it's not. I think to get into a simplistic argument of our kids should be missionaries from age five and we're just going to send them out there on the one, you know, one ditch. And then the other ditch being like, well, you just want to keep your kids sheltered forever and you never want them to experience the real world. And you're just going to have weird um, kids that don't know how to talk to anyone and they're just going to be awkward and stuff, you know, like this other ditch, which is like, well, that's not true either. What we're talking about is raising our kids in a developmentally appropriate way, mm-hmm. developmentally appropriate academically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really cool, Alejandro, how you were talking about like how customizable the, your kid's education can be. Yeah, absolutely. When you as a mom who deeply loves and cares for your kids can understand what they're going through personally, what they're going through academically, you have, you're in tune with what are their interests what are their strengths and weaknesses? And it sounds like you are actively trying to tailor their education to help them go and grow as much as is. It is absolutely a bespoke education. Yeah. It is completely and utterly individualized and customized for each of their needs. Like um, my son, Ezra, he started kindergarten when he was four. His birthday is September 29. So he didn't even, he wasn't even five when he started in September. Cause well, we do school from Labor Day to Memorial Day or Memorial Day to Labor Day. Which one is first? (laughs) Anyway. Holiday to holiday. Yeah, you get it. So September to May. And so I just thought, let's try it. Let's see if it goes. And if it doesn't, then we'll just slow it down. And he was reading by December. And now he's in first grade, you know, a quarter of the way through first grade already. No problems. But we just tried it. And I knew that if it wasn't going to work out, we could do something different. Mm-hmm. And like my my second grader, he's already starting third grade math because he finished first grade in uh, in by, by Easter. He was done with all his math assignments. So I just started him on second grade. Now I'm going to start him on third grade. And like Jason said, he was two grades ahead. Why not? Yeah. Why, why wait for everyone else to catch up so you guys can move to the next, you know, assignment when you're already, you know, blasting ahead? Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. And 
it's kind of funny because in my public school situation where I am currently, um, my average class size is like 25. So yeah, so I, I am working on and I try really hard to reach all of the different academic levels that are in the room. But I mean, let's be real. I, I, I cannot compete with the level of customization that you are describing to me right now. Like I just can't. Yeah. So the academic failures of public school is never the fault of the teacher. It's the fault of the fact that you're putting a bunch of kids who have different learning abilities and speeds in one room and expecting them all to come up to a level where a child who can be taught one-on-one is going to do worse. Like that's not realistic. Right. Yeah. And I'm just saying this in defense of friends of mine who are public school teachers, like they are all doing their absolute best. Yeah. And in your, like in your case, you're doing your absolute best and there will be students out of that that will do really well. But the average student just can't perform. The system's not built for success for a bunch of kids. It's built to right. house a bunch of kids and kind of get them through. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good distinction of, yeah, and there is something to be said of like, there are some teachers that probably shouldn't be teachers. They're not skilled at their job. Um, they just get up in the front of the room and they just say information and they expect everyone to be learning and that's not great. And then there's other teachers that are more dynamic and really go out of their way to try to reach everyone and go over the content in multiple different ways and show you pictures and do activities and let's go outside and let's talk about it. Let's put you in groups, like, like all of that stuff. But that, so there is that, um, factor, but yeah, the more prominent factor is the administrative model of of how are we structuring the learning environment to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because I, I, I have classes of like 25, 26, but then somehow I ended up with my first hour is literally four kids. And those kids are going to do so <laughs> great. <laughs> so yeah. So, it's, like, it's like tutoring, right? Yeah. It's four to one ratio tutoring. Those kids are going to do so great. You can go through the content faster or slow down if necessary. You can do different activities and strategies for each child. You can even all sit at the same table. I loved, I did three to one tutoring for uh, a long time. And all the kids, one-to-one, two-to-one, three-to-one, four-to-whatever, awesome, amazing, like, acceleration was immediate when you lower the ratio. It is phenomenal. And I love the relationship that you get to have with your students when you're able to have just time to kind of joke around or, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Or look at this picture of my kid, you know? it's more exciting and you build a a rapport with people and that's what makes the learning process even more fulfilling for both teacher and for the student. And I think that it makes teachers more passionate when you can have a relationship with their student instead of just like a sea of faces and you're just, you know, giving a lecture, you know, relationships are critical. I, and learning is like, it's an emotional time sometimes. Like, when you like think back to like second grade or fifth grade, like, do you remember like a lesson or an activity or an art project that like really stuck with you? Something that was like, man, that was so awesome. That teacher made it super fun. We went outside and we shot off these rockets into the playground or my teacher took us out and we, for science class and we exploded something in the parking lot, you know, fun things like that because it was exciting or or it scared you or surprising, or you really got passionate about it. Like that is what education should be. And homeschool model makes that possible to do that every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's super cool. And 
Yeah, it's um so there's I don't know, I'm also thinking of levels of like the levels of the academic process of like there's what you do on the lesson level. So if I'm in a room with four students, I can adapt the lesson to their needs and I'm super flexible. But that lesson is still in a curricular framework that is pretty set. And so like although I have four kids in first hour, I've got uh, like 60, 70 kids throughout the rest of the day that on paper need to be doing the same thing because our curriculum is pretty much set and I can't really change that on the fly because, you know, and then I've got other teachers that are teaching the same course and then we need to try to match and all this stuff. Yeah. And then, and then above that is like, okay, well they're in this class and the next year they're going to take this class. And, and there's some flexibility with what classes you can take. Um, but it's still like a limited set of options. Mm-hmm. So it's cool that, so like what you're, so like what you're saying of like on the lesson level with four kids, like we have a set lesson, a set curriculum, I can be flexible with a small class, but even then, I don't know, I'm still just kind of trashing on my own model here. I, I can't modify at the curricular level. Like yeah. I, can't, I can't change up like, Oh, let's find a different book or like, that's kind of a bummer. Let's change up the lesson or like, no, let's do this lab on a different day because we need to have this, we're having this conversation is coming up. Yeah. Like, even though I'm in a room with four kids, I'm still in a way tethered. Kind of limited. Yeah. But you're limited. Because of the other because you, it's not you, it's the system, it's the curriculum by right. your school, right. That's right. provided right. to you that you are limited because of someone else's decision, right. not you as a teacher. Yeah. yeah, that is a challenge. Yeah, and so it's it's just an interesting um, discussion to have. And I guess kind of as a side note, I, I think I'm in the right place right now. I think public mm-hmm. school is where I'm supposed to be. Um, but the more I talk about this with people, the more I think about this, um, the more I'm thinking that, man, I don't know if I want to stay here for my entire yeah. career. Yeah. Um, if I look ahead 30, 40 years from now and just imagine myself looking back and seeing – only public school. Like that's what I gave my whole career to. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't sound exciting or fulfilling to me. Imagine so, yeah. if you could take everything you've learned as a teacher and the administrative abilities and translate it into building a cooperative system of parents teaching their children. Mm. In other words, instead of just teaching in a classroom, be able to turn that into something where you're actually leading the charge on a movement the same number of children or more could be impacted and they would get significantly better academic, not because you're not a great teacher in public school, but because the model changed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And, and, you know, I kind of play with the idea in my head of like, man, maybe I'll just start a Christian school or start, you know, some sort of thing. But then also with that, I go, well, yeah, that's cool. But like, I almost feel like we need Christian teacher schools or like, training for parents on how to homeschool like that that level of what you're what kind of what you just said of like and maybe not a four or six year degree in education which really i think if i look back on my degrees i think there was a lot of stuff that didn't need to be there but like coming up with a curriculum that trains parents or classes that train parents um it would probably be helpful there are like conferences homeschool at least in california that you can go to, to as a homeschool parent to go to classes, to learn how to teach different subjects or even to browse other curriculums before you purchase it. Hmm. I know everything's online now, yeah. but there's all these curriculums. Like they have videos, they have 
um, what do they call that? Like a, not a conference, but a... Well, they have conferences. Yeah. Where you... But also, I know I'm throwing a lot of statistics in today, but there is another statistic where homeschooled families that have a parent that holds a credential versus a parent that doesn't is statistically insignificant. It makes almost no difference on the children's scores. Hmm. So I think, and I don't think that's... And, and you're talking about a teaching credential. Teaching as, credential, As yes. opposed to like a bachelor's degree. As opposed to a high school degree. Okay. Actually, no, I take that back. It may be. It may be any college degree was was adequate for the parent to help the children learn. And okay. that having no college degree did actually make a difference. But th- basically the point comes down to whether or not a parent learned how to teach, the fundamentals of teaching is kind of built into parents as they raise their children anyway. <laughs> yeah, you teach and your so, kids all the time. <laughs> well, while having the resources of like, if I had to sit down and teach my children, I wouldn't know what to do. And I feel like I wouldn't do as well as her. But somehow the statistics say they would probably fare just as well under me as they would at Alejandro. You just taught them a science lesson. He and- talking about protons and neutrons today. They're like fourth, <laughs> second graders. And well, he's over there drawing these big little pictures <laughs> and stuff. And they're like, oh. But a lot of a lot of homeschool curriculum too does have resources for parents specifically, and it's like here's how you teach this lesson, here's what you talk to them about, and it goes through all that stuff. So there is homeschool curriculum out there that's specifically designed. It's like DIY, basically. It's it like gives you like a script, like say this, and then <laughs> your does. child, and then now you say this, and then you fun. Yeah. yeah. Or like you can see behind me, I know people listening can't, but this entire wall of our office is full of school supplies and books and, and curriculum and all that. And actually we are sitting at a little pop-out desk where our kids sometimes sit to do their schoolwork too. So our, and our kids do school on the couch, um, in, in this office, at the dining table, in their bedrooms, outside, in the car, in the doctor's office, waiting for, you know, whatever. And they read to me or, and, and school is any time, any time of the day we did. My son did like a hair follicle, um, uh, diagram, like at 7 PM last week, just cause he wanted to, he's like, mommy, what's that? I said, Oh, this is your lesson for Monday. He's like, can I do it right now? I'm like, sure. Here you go. Have it. <laughs> and he had a great time, colored the whole thing and did it with joy. It wasn't like a, Oh, you have to sit down and do this right now. But it's like education is such a part of our family culture mm-hmm. and school is just what we do all the time, whether we're on vacation or at the zoo or we're hanging out with dad talking about protons and neutrons. It's just our lifestyle. And we, but we created that from day one, even unintentionally. I think we knew that we would be homeschooling. So we kind of leaned that way, but because we're so passionate about just being with our kids and loving them and, and teaching them just whatever, it just became part of our life and, and the everyday occurrence. Wow. That's super cool. It's super cool to hear how excited you guys are about this and how on the same page you both are. Um, um, I don't know. It makes me feel better about, um, I don't know, maybe going this route myself in the future. Um, I don't yeah, know. How, how are we doing on time? I have more things I could bring up. I don't know. Do you no, guys need to get going? I think we're okay. While she's checking out there, can I, can I throw in one fun fact? Please do. For listeners. So uh, this may be well known by now because I think the idea that homeschoolers score well academically is actually increasing in knowledge. But um, there's a lot of peer-reviewed studies out there about how well homeschoolers score on standardized testing. And it ranges anywhere between 65 and 90th percentile, whereas public institutional schools will score in the 50th percentile. So 
homeschool students almost invariably will do better anywhere between 15 and 35 or 15 and 40 points. So it's, I think for me too, that's that by itself would be a reason to homeschool my kids. If we're just looking at academics, they're going to absolutely do better. Yeah. Our kids, um, they were through a, a charter, a homeschool charter system. And, uh, we, we're asked to take this test. We're not required. Like I could just say, no, I don't want my kids to take that test. I forget what it's called, but it's like, it checks their benchmarks and make sure they take it three times throughout the year, beginning, middle, end. And every single time any of my kids have ever, ever taken this test, they've always been above the 80th percentile every single time. Most of the time in the 90th percentile, every single time from kindergarten on all three of my, my sons have always been that way. And I don't think it's exactly because I'm so great, but I think it's just because what we do is condensed in to smaller chunks of time. So we're able to accomplish more in the same amount of time as a public school day. Like my kids do school from like maybe 830 to noon and that's it. Very and cool. if they, if they lollygag in there, you know, procrastinating, then they usually have to do it in the afternoon, but we're able to accomplish everything in three to four hours, sometimes less. Yeah. Which reminds me of what Jason said earlier. It sounds like the state of California already understands that, that if you're, you know, three hours at home, they're like, yep, that's a full day. But if you're in public school, it's gotta be seven hours. (laughs) Well, and I know they have to, you know, account for all this, but the time to line up or put your backpack on or grab your coat or walk to the cafeteria or, okay, go line up for a recess or okay, stand and wait for the bus. Like all of that is accounted for. But for us, you know, eight o'clock hits, come downstairs, make sure you're dressed, get on the piano, start your 30 minutes of piano practice, come finish your breakfast and get started. Yeah. Very cool. Jason, are you pulling, you're mentioning these stats. Is this a specific website that people can go to or is this stuff? gathered over time? Glad you asked. Actually, a lot of the information that I get is from nheri.org. It's the National Home Education Research Institute. They pull on dozens, if not hundreds of peer-reviewed studies. So it is a, it's basically an academic journal that studies the, the pros and cons of home education. Um, and there's a lot of facts and statistics, um, a lot of good stuff people can read. <clears throat> and they address everything from the academics to social, emotional, and physical, uh, psychological development, or what we'd call socialization. They even talk about things like studies and gender differences in children and uh, youth. They talk about the success in the real world. I thought that one was pretty enlightening, mm. which, believe it or not, statistically significant. That's what they like to say that a lot because the different journals don't always give the exact same number, but um, success in the real world, almost across the board, homeschool students do better. In the workplace, they do, they're more likely to vote. They're more likely to go to community events. They're more likely to volunteer for stuff. They're more likely to attend public meetings. Um, it even talks about, you know, like they give their interpretations of some of the uh, studies and research. So nheri.org. Cool. I'll make a note of that. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll put it down in the show notes for people to go check it out if they want. Awesome. Yeah. So kind of as kind of as a last topic I wanted to ask about, um, if there, so say you had, you know, you were talking to a young couple and they've got some young kids or they don't have kids yet and they're considering getting into homeschool and they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know who to talk to. 
Do you have advice for anyone considering going down this route of how to get started with this? Just do it. Just honestly, it's taking the plunge. There are some life decisions you can't, you can think yourself out of. Hmm. I think in this one, just do it. You talking like resources or like personal choice? Like, 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 do we really want to commit our lives to this or talking like, how do I find people to help me? So, with yeah, I guess I'm asking more that if there's a couple and they've decided they want to homeschool oh, okay. and they okay. want, and they don't know how to get started. I would, my first suggestion would be to get on social media or whatever and find a group, find a co-op, find other like-minded people, find moms, find grandmas, find whoever you can to find uh you need a support system doing it on your own i bet you could like if we moved to like rural alaska like we could homeschool um but we wouldn't have anyone to interact with and that would be really a bummer because like we said before it's all about relationships it's all about community if you're a missionary and you're going to uganda and you don't know a soul then i'm sure you'll find somebody but people who are passionate about homeschool it seems kind of like once I start mentioning it, people are like, oh yeah, my cousin homeschooled her daughter, or do you know so-and-so, or what curriculum do you use? It's like all of a sudden it just starts this whole conversation and this new thing that people are excited about. And so my advice would definitely be seek out other moms, other families that are in the same boat as you in your community and have your kids start hanging out and playing together, have dinner together and uh, build, build yourself a support system. And then as far as curriculum, that's a whole other conversation of like what to pick and how to know, like what's yeah. the right thing to teach my kid or books to use. You know? Everybody has their own opinion on what curriculum sets are best. There are people that will live and die by a certain brand and they'll swear that it's the best. And I think a lot of that just comes down to preference and style. Yeah. Um, but the beautiful thing about homeschooling is you can start with one. You don't like it. Throw yeah, it away. Throw it away. I'm not that. We've done that before. In fact, I don't know what it's like across the country, but at least here in Fresno, every year there is a used book sale for the homeschool groups. And there's like over a thousand families in Fresno that homeschool. So it's a big community. And they'll get together and they have a big sale and you bring out all the stuff, you, you're done and you sell it off. Like all this stuff um, not the consumables, but like the teaching books. And what it does is it gives you a chance to buy some stuff for a lot less expensive. And if you like it, you can invest in it with, you know, the consumable items. So I think Alejandro is absolutely right. <laughs> Homeschoolers are usually um, like a like a fierce group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they, they defend, they defend their, well, because it's really a, a still a very small minority of the population. Mm -hmm. And so they face a lot of... Uh, a lot of negativity, a lot of weird questions, a lot of disinformation out there about homeschoolers. Always has been. Um, like, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've got the question, well, aren't you, you know, if you're homeschooled, aren't you going to be weird? And I just look at them and go, I was homeschooled. Usually half the time people are like, oh, really? Okay. I didn't know. They're like, oh, now we know why. The other half the time they're just being snarky <laughs> going, well, I knew that. That's why you're so weird. And I'm like, yeah. That's right. <laughs> but in a good way. Now, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like anyone who's considering homeschooling, look around your community. There will be somebody mm -hmm. in there that's doing it, and they're probably already connected. Homeschoolers have a way of finding each other like magnets. There are these moms in our co-op that don't even have students at home anymore. Their kids are out, married, whatever, graduated college already, and they still come to co-op and they still want to be involved in mm -hmm. the homeschool movement. My daughter's preschool teacher is one of those ladies and she comes every Thursday 
and she does little crafts and she reads them their books and they sing wheels on the bus and they play costume and dress up. And then she goes home to her husband and, you know, that's just her life because she is invested and she wants to love on and be part of this culture still, even after not teaching anymore. And I think I might be that way too. I think once our kids grow up and they're gone, I'm like, I want to still be helping and be a teacher and invest in other people's kids. I think it's such a, a lifestyle that once you don't have to do it anymore, it's like, wait, oh, what? I, I have to keep going. What do I do now? But I That's think the cool. other thing about homeschooling, as far as like, if you decided that you want to homeschool you and your husband and you're, you decided you want to homeschool your kids, that means that you made a lot of other choices before coming to this moment. Hmm. That means that you may be down to one income or you may only have one car, or it means you're not going on that vacation or you're not having Netflix and Disney plus and you know, all that, or you figured out how to live on one income because you are ready to invest in the future of your children, not just what you get to have right now. This is such a kingdom principle that people have a hard time getting getting wrapped around is that right now I don't get what I want so that the next generations can be raised up. So I am going to sacrifice, I'm going to invest, I'm going to let go of what I want or what I think I should have or deserve so that I can lay down my life for my kids. And I think if you are are already a stay-at-home mom and you are able to live off of your husband's salary, then homeschooling is even easier to decide upon. It's like, well, you're already home. You already figured out how to live without certain things. And the next step is just making that decision of, okay, I'm going to not only lay down my life for my family and being a stay-at-home mom, but I'm also going to die to self even more and spend every waking moment devoted to my children in their education as well. Mm, yeah. I Those think, are really yeah. hard choices. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's a good, um, that's a good point. And even personally for me and Chalene, that's, that's something that uh, that we've kind of gone back and forth on of, you know, because Shalene doesn't, she didn't tell me like, I want to homeschool, but she was like, I want to be involved with my kids and I'm not just sending them off anywhere. Not mm-hmm. not that I wanted to do that. Um, but if I could be a little transparent here, I think there's part of me that um, is not totally comfortable, not that that matters, but not totally comfortable with like losing part of Shalene's income and or losing mm-hmm. Shalene's income that she has now. Um, but I think, you know, when you, when you pose the question as like, well, your kids or, you know, your fun money right now, you know, you're spending money or eating out more. It's like, okay, this is, this should not even be a contest right now. Right. Um, So homeschooling is definitely a sacrifice, but you know, if, if I compare the cost of sending four kids to private school, (laughs) It's probably as much or more than she'd make as a teacher. Yeah, like I would go to work to send my kids to school. So it wouldn't make any sense. And you know what? I used to tutor SAT prep to students. Obviously, a lot of the families were wealthy, but not all of them. And these parents would spend thousands of dollars. I mean thousands to get their kids to score 200 points higher so that they had the chance of going to a better college. So there are tons of families that get to this point and their kids are in high school and they're like, shoot, my kid needs to perform better. 
and they will spend whatever it takes to get their kid to perform. It's like, mm-hmm. I know I compare that to homeschooling. It's like, actually the cost isn't that big anymore. When I realize par- there are parents out there that will spend the money and the time to try to help their kids get a better education, but they don't think about the idea of homeschooling because that requires me to make a lifestyle change. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of the homeschooling families that I know are really glad they made the lifestyle change mm-hmm. because it ends up being easier in the long run. Mm. Yeah, a I think few, that's a good point. A few years back, I was looking on, I was on Facebook and it was the beginning of the school year, you know, end of summer. And this mom posts a picture. It, it may have gone viral. I don't know. This mom posts a picture of herself bathing suit in a floaty in the in the pool with like some beverage and she's lounging in the pool you know and it says kids are back to finally kids are back at school and then my heart was like are you kidding me you're you sent your kids off to school so you could flow in the pool with your mimosa and like be in your bathing suit like what in the world (laughs) that is like completely the opposite of where my mind goes when I think oh my God, my kids are going back to school. You know, like that means a lot of work. That means researching. That means reading. That means looking into curriculum. That means like buying buying school supplies. And here's this mom like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get rid of my kids. I could not stand to be around them all day. Like, can you imagine if your coworker said that to you? I can understand that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but how much would that hurt if you told your kid, oh my gosh, just get out of here. Go to school. I can't stand being around you. Yeah, I want to go swimming. Get away. Yeah, I, I can't stand being around you. Just go to school. Get away from me. Yeah. Isn't that awful? Like, what what kind of parent is that? It's not your kind of parenting. So. Well, I can understand. <laughs> my, kids, my kids take me off sometimes. And I'm like, for your safety, leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm like, mommy needs a time that's, out. <laughs> that's spoken like a true mother, the heart of a mother. I think it's I dad. love you. Go I love, away. I love my kids and I'm just fine working eight hours a day and not saying them until I come home. But that's just me. <laughs> there's a reason that there's a mother and a father. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Very cool. Good. Well, this is this has been awesome. I'm glad we were able to have this conversation. I think you guys have um shared some really cool stuff. And also, yeah, said some things that have like helped and challenged me as well. So I appreciate you guys coming on and um, sharing what you did. We could Absolutely. do this again if you have anything like specific that you want to talk about. Um, yeah, we should definitely. We're um, more prepared next time. Oh, no. I mean, you seem, you seem prepared. Um, uh, yeah, we should definitely do that. I, I don't necessarily plan on this just being a one-time appearance for you guys. So if you want to keep it going. It won't take us four months to get back to you. Either. I heard you preached about <laughs> the school system recently. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually on the podcast. It's a previous episode, so oh, okay. I can okay. I can I just yeah we recorded it, so I can send it to you guys. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so cool. It's earlier in this conversation. You were like, "We don't think the public school is the devil," and in my head, I'm kind of like, "Well, I kind of preach to that, so I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> so not I mean, not literally, not literally, but I think as a whole, maybe it is, but I think there's so many good people working in the school that are trying their right. best. That's right. what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the light and the darkness. Yep. Those are the people that should be commended and applauded and lifted up in prayer. Yeah. I mean, we should pray yeah. for our school system. We should pray for the 
the superintendents of the schools, the principals of the schools. My neighbor, she she's a grandma and she still goes to the school board meetings that at the neighborhood school because she cares. And she's like, I want to vote. I want to be able to say I agree or disagree with you because I'm still part of this community and I still care about the kids that are what they're learning here. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm really excited to hear that. One last thing. One last thing that I want to say. Yeah. If we're ending. So <clears throat> a lot of people ask me, oh, you don't plan to homeschool your kids all the way to high school, do you? And I'm like, well, that's the plan right now. I mean, that's what I want to do. So my neighbor right next door, she used to be a school administrator for years, like 45 years in the school system, retired. And she asked me that, You're, are you plan- nicely, are you planning to homeschool your kids all the way through high school? And I said, well, I really hope so. I really want to. And I was expecting a little bit of, you know, backlash. But instead, she said, I think that is so wonderful. She said, you know, you really only get your kids for about 18 or 20 years. And then they're gone. She's like 80 something. She said, you know, my kids are grown. They're gone. And, and they left. You know, they were 18. They went to college or they moved away. They went on missions. And, and, and then they just come visit me a few times a year. She's like, I wish that I had had more time with my kids when they were younger, because now I hardly see them. And that just really struck me. I said, you're absolutely right. If I have the opportunity to be with my kids and love on them as much as possible before they grow up and move away, like, why would I trade that? People always say time flies, you know, oh, they grow up so fast. And it sounds so cliche, but it is absolutely the truth. And already my son, my oldest is in fourth grade and it's hard to even wrap my mind around that because I remembered preschool teaching him the colors and getting the crayons out and coloring little papers. But it's like, if I could be around my kids as much as possible now, because I know that I'm probably not going to see them very often when they're adults, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I get to be with them as much as I can. But that's just my heart. Maybe other people don't feel that way. But if given the opportunity, I would choose it every time. Very cool. Yeah. I think it's a a beautiful sentiment to end on. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, guys. Everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you very much.